0: Hey everyone! Before we get started, I have another disclaimer to put up. When we recorded this, for whatever reason, the program that I used to record Skype Conversations picked up my guest's audio, but not mine. But thankfully, my guest was very chatty and I still have my notes from when we recorded, so if you're wondering why the audio quality is all over the place, it's because I'm splicing in two different recording sessions. Hopefully it won't be too big a distraction since my guest was a delight to record, interview, and listen to. This is Ramblings of a Guy from Regina, I'm your host Luke and in the second part of our Burden of Truth miniseries, we are moving up the production ladder with our hair and makeup episode. Although to be accurate, it's just hair. If the crew of Burden of Truth is like a family, my guest today I would describe as our dead mother. If you're having a bad day on set, all you have to do is see this woman and automatically your day brightens. I hope she lives a very long and full, rich life, but God forbid she should pass away unexpectedly halfway through production season, the entire Winnipeg film industry would shut down to attend her funeral. Actors and producers and executives from L.A. would fly in just to attend said funeral, like foreign dignitaries. This is how beloved my guest is amongst those who work in the Winnipeg film industry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Ms. Pina Robinson.
1: Hi, my name is Pina Robinson, and that was quite the introduction, and I'm very touched that you think so highly of me, and I hope I'm not a disappointment to the audience. (laughs) So
0: just to start us off, tell us about who you are and how you got into the film industry here in Winnipeg. And you're rather unique amongst the crew in that you were pretty much right there at the beginning of Manitoba having a film industry when the tax credit was introduced in the late 90s.
1: I have to say, when I got started in the industry, I did a little bit with the Winnipeg Film Group in approximately 1991. We did not have IATSE at that time. It was ACFC, and of course, the little show that I worked on was not even a union thing. It was a little two-minute commercial with the film group. And so basically, when I first started, quite honestly... I was never intending to stay in this industry for any length of time. And I believe it was two two two-minute spots for the film group. And I thought, great, okay, that's done. My very, very first set experience was an 18-hour day, and I made $25. I know, right? I did hair and helped with costumes. And we were at an old hotel on Main Street And so because, of course, we work that 18 hour day by about three o'clock in the morning when everybody's exhausted, we start leaning against the walls. And we were in a little restaurant, part of that hotel, and all the cockroaches decided it was time for them to expose themselves. So we saw cockroaches in the sugar shaker's everywhere you could possibly imagine which of course instantly woke everybody up and nobody leaned on walls anymore i do have to say that that hotel and restaurant is no longer in existence they've torn down that building but i remember telling my mom and dad that this was my first time on set and i told them about the experience and they were like So are you sure this is what you want to do? And I'm like, I said yes, knowing full well that I likely would not have any more extended experience. So what ended up happening after that was I didn't know of anything. There was no sort of roster that got looked at. I wasn't on a roster, even if there would have been. So you sort of just kind of go about the rest of your life and forget really about film and whatnot. And I had always wanted to have some sort of connection with film, with acting especially, and a little funny Side note is that particular first film that I did, I had actually auditioned for and they called me back for a second audition and I blew them off, believe it or not. I don't know where my life would be right now had I auditioned. Maybe I would not be involved at all in film. Who knows? Or maybe I would be in Hollywood getting an Oscar. That's a real big joke, but whatever. So... Having done that, of course, then you get to know a few people on set, and there was a training program that actually one of the gentlemen had told me not to worry about completing or applying for, and I don't know, my gut just kind of said, oh, just throw your name in, what can it hurt? And so I did, and of 35 people that applied, and I was one of two people that got accepted in this training program. And so we did, I believe it was approximately five days on set. It was probably the worst experience ever. It was freezing out. It was raining. No one told me about warm gear. And it was the craft service gentleman who saved my life. They gave me a jacket and an umbrella, and they basically saved me from dying. And so I just kind of thought, yeah, this is not for me. And what ended up happening is they sort of kind of hunt you down, the industry that is, and there wasn't too many folks in the city with the same last name as me, so they found me rather quickly and basically sort of lure you back in on another training program, which was 100% better And that is actually what started me on the road. So that was essentially around the 93, 92 mark. And so then everything sort of snowballed. I had children. I got divorced. I was a single parent raising my kids while establishing a career in the film business. And as I'm sure you're well aware, the hours and just everything about film is not really conducive to promote family life. Let alone somebody who's a single parent and needing to sort of maneuver all of that. But I ended up sticking around and my first gig working outside when it was below zero temperatures, I decided that was a good time to invest in warm gear. And I never thought I'd establish a kit. And as time has gone on, you add this, you add that. And now, almost 30 years later, I am still here. I would like to think well established. I have a huge kit and I can't imagine my life doing anything but film. So that's sort of my story in a bit of a nutshell for you. So let's get
0: down to business. What I want to hear from you is what exactly your job entails. Tell us what a typical day is for you on or offset, and what perspective does it give you on the production?
1: Sure. Generally speaking, when you are seeking employment or somebody comes to you and says, hey, we'd like to hire you for this job then there is a bit of a process. And my mom and dad are both from Sicily. So I'm first generation Canadian, which poses extremely unique scenarios because they learned English while I was going to school. And so I'm not at all fluent in Italian, but I do understand it a fair bit. But my dad was a carpenter. And in that, as I was growing up, he would dictate what he needed done. I was the oldest of three kids. So he would nod ahead and say, Hey, go do and nod his head. And I was given what task he had at hand. My job then entailed reading his mind and then fulfilling the task, which I believe sort of taught me how to come from the perspective of another person and grab their vision. So Essentially, when I meet with the director, we have an initial meeting of basically saying hello, and of course, they're extremely familiar with the script, and at that point, I've generally read it once, maybe twice, and so I get a feel in my gut or in my thought process of what the look may entail or what kind of feeling I might get from the director in that conversation. And I build a bit of a vision that way. The directors vary. Sometimes they are very clear on what they would like to see as far as hair. Sometimes they generally say, the characters in this story are middle-class and not highly fashioned or very casual and real relaxed type hair. So that's all the direction I get and I get to have a conversation with the actor at a later point and we create a look. So in the initial meeting with a director, I find that part very fun. I've gone in a couple of times under the pretense that I'm going to say hello and they're going to say hello to me, that we meet and discover if at that point the work relationship will continue and I will actually be hired. But it's happened a couple of times where I've gone in and we've done an entire cast breakdown in that meeting and I've left there going, I guess I'm hired for the job without a formal request. And of course that's exactly the situation. So I do find it creative in the sense that I can create the looks that I'm looking for, but There's also direction in that the director has a say, the producers have a say, and the actors have a say. So we collaborate. It's a very collaborative evolution, if I could say. So once I get hired, then time generally passes a smidge. And there's communication with actors, there's further reading of the script, there's breaking down of the script, and working towards day one of shooting. So there's a few things that happen in there. I believe it was season one where... I can't remember now. And it's going to be hard for me at times to distinguish between one and two where we actually do see Kristen had just woken up. I mean, she's got long hair, so she would essentially have to have gone through a tornado. It might be a little more fuzzy, but it would never look insane just because it's long and it's thick and it's luscious hair. So that in itself, those of us with short hair, when we wake up, sometimes we look interesting to say the very least. There's nothing we could do to make that woman unattractive. She's beautiful. And even in the simplest or the least amount of makeup, there's just everything about her skin and her face. And of course her hair that she's quite lovely. So you'll never see her look hideous unless it was a role where She had prosthetics or appliances put on and her face was created to look different. But as herself or as Joanna Hanley, she's just beautiful. So there's really nothing there. So I think, too, with her at the beginning of season one, Brenda Magalis, who is the makeup artist and who was a makeup artist for both seasons as well. Her and I were actually flown out to Toronto and we had a meet and greet with Kristen and we did a hair makeup trial in front of camera. And we were able to try a few different looks and speak with producers. And it was a great introduction. And so that was a lot of fun to do, but it's also very nerve wracking. I always get nervous I've been doing this for a lot of years and it does not matter the show. It does not matter the actor, whether it's a big budget, a low budget. I always get nervous before because my desire, of course, is to present the best of myself, but also to do the best work that I could possibly do, regardless of what cash is behind the job. So having said that, once we sort of spent some time together and whatnot, I'm also not that person that is going to do 18 episodes and have the same hair all the way through. I just can't do that. Some of the characters that don't come in necessarily all the time, or those that come in periodically through the season, it's a little bit more that you might want to keep them similar because You want the audience to quickly recognize them. So I wouldn't want to do anything super drastic. But as far as our leads are concerned, we like to change things up. I like to be creative. I get so bored if it's the same hairdo all the time. So that's where you'll see a lot of differences in Kristen's hair, in Luna's hair. So that's star, some of the other characters had less change. Nicola had a few little changes Peter Mooney, of course, has had subtle changes, but he's a man, so it's a little bit different. There were some facial differences, which I'm going to refrain from speaking about makeup or facial hair just because I don't want to speak out of turn and I don't want to give information where I'm not 100% sure of Brenda's process and her conversation. So I will only speak regarding hair on the head. (laughs) Yeah, that poses challenges as well because Joanna is a high powered lawyer so what is her look what would we do and i'm continually online people think oh you pulled this out of your hat but i'm constantly online Looking at different hairdos, I'll punch in every tagline you could possibly think of. And then I screenshot photos and I keep them in sort of a little bank of hairdos so that even in between seasons, if I see a really great hairdo on a long head of hair, I will screenshot that and I will keep it in my little bank of hairdos in the event that I get called back and do the following season, then I've got a little bit of a reserve of what I'd like to see or whatnot. So I feel like it's a constant putting forward of yourself and trying to find looks because you can punch in a hairdo or even long haired professionals, you will get 8 million (laughs) results and obviously not all of those fit. So now it's my job to take What looks I feel apply to Joanna and would she do it? Is she able to do it? Does it suit her person as a character? Is this her vibe? She's very professional and precise and she's very... Pulled together and whatnot. You talk about not having loose strands of hair. There are a few because that's just the nature of hair, but for the most part, we keep it contained and tidy because she's a professional and she likes to present herself as educated and professional. And so I feel that reflects in her costume and her makeup and, of course, in her hairstyle. So we try to make that puzzle fit so that when the audience looks at her in their subconscious, it works and it fits. You know what I mean? So it's an everyday thing. It's something that I'm always, you don't just get the job, throw in a ponytail and move on. To me, anybody can do that and I want it to be exceptional.
0: Looking on your Instagram, I see that you're also an ordained minister who can marry couples. And I don't know if I'll ever get to that place, but now I know if and when the legend of Nikki Olives gets made, not only do I want you doing hair, but I also want you to play the minister in the wedding scene.
1: I would love to act in it. Oh my gosh, that just hit my frontal lobe there. But when I was a kid, when I'd see wedding scenes on a film, I'd be like, okay, so are they really married? That's of course the mind of a child, right? So I wonder then if I was the minister performing the ceremony, you think, are they really married? But yeah, that would be awesome. It would be so fun and be all for that, Luke,
0: just so you know. And now we get to the fun part for me, the anecdotes. What I'd like to know is what's it like hanging out with our cast? And if you have any fun or funny stories you'd like to share, not only just on this show, but any of the other shows you've worked on here in Winnipeg.
1: Oh my God. Well, in that, you definitely remind me of first season when we did... Luna's grad. And so we had, of course, Luna's character and Molly and there's a whack load of other girls. And so essentially now that particular day, there's always a lot of preparation that goes into that, not only in the trailer, but just on set because it's got to look like a grad. And so there's decorating and costumes has all their dresses and it's grad dress and formal. And so the trailer, of course, we have many casts and it's not just run a brush through and give it a soft bend with the iron. We're doing grad updos, but you have to do it quickly. And as perspective, if I was doing a grad or a wedding, I would allot approximately one hour per either grad or bride or whatever. To get their hair done. So now, if you have a cast of, let's say, 10 young girls who are getting their hair done, that would be 10 hours, which is absolutely not (laughs) right. And so we're needing to come up with hairstyles that are quick that can be done quick, but yet look very situation appropriate and yet nice. So we had Don't Stop Believing by Journey playing in the trailer in the morning. And I mean, Cranked and Nicola and myself, and I believe it was Sarah who plays Molly. We were singing Don't Stop Believing at the top of our lungs. And the party atmosphere in the trailer was incredible. And we all had fun and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say who it was, but one of our ADs, he came in his grad dress or in a grad dress. It wasn't his, but, and we just had so much fun that day getting folks ready and where there's all this energy and excitement and fun and everyone's getting ready and anticipating the events that are coming up in that day. So we had a lot of fun that day. I really enjoyed it. And you Always tell on set the character of a human being because when we spend the kind of hours that we do together, nobody is going to be perfect. There's going to be times when somebody's grumpy or someone gets a little bitchy, if I'm allowed to say bitchy, because they're tired and they've worked long days and they don't see their family and you're one of the rare people that can keep that perspective some people the way that they think and this goes back to folks in their character when they can only see in their mind's eye how situations or things that maybe occur in life how it affects them they can't see beyond themselves and how things work in their world and i feel like those are the hard folks to handle because everything to them is a crisis, and nobody understands because no one's ever lived such a hard life as they have. And I find that to be extremely selfish and very narrow-minded. And I've seen it hurt folks. I've seen it hurt families. But I feel like we have a responsibility because this industry can be somewhat of a machine. The machine moves forward just like life moves forward and it is sort of our way to maneuver our own life in the correct footing and the footing that's appropriate for our lives alongside that machine, because it's like a tiller. If it's in the way, if it's there, it's just going to get turned into itself and then chopped up in a million pieces and spit out. And that's not to say that there's no good people or anything like that. That's not at all what I'm saying, but the industry as a, a large entity is just a machine that moves forward. And what makes it doable, what makes it something that we love and that we lay our life down for is the folks that we encounter. So the people that are above the line, so the producers, the director, even your production managers, they're not above the line, but you know what I mean? So when you have folks like, and certainly in our Burden of Truth family, when you have folks that care about their crew, that we have fun on set, and there's little perks that they like to send out to crew, that makes you feel appreciated and it makes you feel cared for. You're not just there punching a clock, doing what your job is, and then you go home and try to salvage the rest of your life we build relationships and I find the more often the more seasons that I do of a series the harder it is to detach so we did a series called less than kind a few years back with Mark McKinney and some other great folks and by season four I would have volunteered to work that job because by then you're in love with the crew and you're in love with the cast and they become people that are important to you as individuals. So you do very well become close knit. And that means just like in your home, you might fight with your mom or you might fight with your husband or you fight with your kids or whatever it is, but you move forward, you say sorry where you need to say sorry and you forgive where you need to forgive. And then you just continue forward because that's what happens when you spend day and night for three and a half months at 15 hours or 14 hours a day with other people, it's just bound to happen. And so the good relationships, the good outcomes always come when there's forgiveness and there's humbleness and remembering that you're dealing with human beings and not just numbers or people that are dispensable i hate that but on our show we don't get that we don't have that feeling i have worked on a show and it was years ago where the producer very blatantly stated that they were going to work the crew until they dropped and to me that's abuse And then that's where it becomes my choice to say, I think that I'm not the right person for that job because I wouldn't treat them like that. I don't want to be treated like that. So that is not how Burden of Truth is. That is not how our producers treat us. They're lovely. They treat us well. They care for us. That includes Leslie, the production manager. So that makes all the difference in the world, just to make it clear. Actors in my mind, and I know it appears that, when the hair and makeup department initially get introduced to the actors that there's an automatic gelling or you're automatically best friends, but that's actually not a hundred percent accurate because Actors, especially, and if they're traveling or doing different shows, they often have different hair and makeup people. There are some actors who they're very fortunate and they get to bring a team of hair and makeup with them whenever they go to different locations to shoot. But for the most part, actors are at the mercy, essentially, of the hair and makeup department in the city they're shooting in or on the show that they're working on. So I feel in a way that they need to have a certain amount of guard up quite honestly, because they don't know who they're getting. And when I go in on a show, I very much am not a fan. I try to be someone who's comfortable with them, who I cannot be starstruck. And if I am, I got to suck it down. I cannot turn into a fan it takes time for those relationships to build and to strengthen and there's a certain element of trust that people have just for a stranger even you sort of assume walking down the street nobody's going to come out and stab you with a knife right so there's a small element of trust that we just have living our lives now when actors meet the hair and makeup team and we'll keep it to our department for the purpose of this conversation but when they meet us my first thought and how I like to deal with the cast is I'm not looking to have my way. I'm not looking to be the one in charge. I'm not looking to be a wall. So when I meet them and we've definitely had scenarios and not on burden, but other shows where producers have warned us and they've said this cast member has been known to be difficult and we want you to let us know if there's any problems. And then two weeks after shooting, or a week after shooting, they'll come to us and they'll say, So, how's it going? And we're like, Well, great. Things are awesome. And they're happy, of course. But I always say to that, Well, I'm not coming in wanting control. So, when an actor comes and sits in my chair, I want them to feel that they can come in, they don't have to put on any kind of front, they can just relax they can be themselves if they want to talk we talk if they don't want to talk we don't talk i will ask them always how they like to have their hair how they see their character looking because i feel like most casts that i've ever worked with will have an impression of what they feel their character looks like so my job is to comply with that to help them put that hair piece And I don't mean an actual hairpiece, but the piece of the puzzle that is their hairstyle and to fit that into the image they've already created in their mind. And when they don't get pushback from me or they don't get that feeling that they're constantly trying to convince me of their thoughts they relax extremely quickly. And then that's where things get started on building relationships. I'm also a very open person. I will ask questions. I can feel and read people quite well. So if I know someone doesn't want to talk about certain things or they don't want to get personal, then I don't push that. If they do want to get personal, honey, I am right there. (laughs) I'm more than happy to talk to people because we're all human. And as much as they're actors and I'm their hair person, I always look at the fact that they're another human being that they're a fellow human being and that this show will end but I would like to think that our conversation our relationship has been something special for them while we've been in each other's lives as short as that might be and I feel like people get that when they talk with me and so they're very comfortable I don't usually have any problems with any actors and that's where you might see you guys are really close with the actors and people think that it's just a real natural easy thing but it is not always easy in the sense that i put a lot of we don't come in and lay our own problems down or lay our life down so it's really important that we come in we leave our personal crap at home and for our friends and we don't bring it in the trailer and we make sure that the first thing that the actors do in the day which is when they come into hair and makeup, that experience can start them on a good day. We've had actors cry in the trailer. We've had to literally pick them up, pat them on the back, wipe their tears and send them off. We've had actors that have been angry, whether it's been at productions and I don't mean burden, but other shows, they come in angry because they've had a confrontation with a producer or a situation that didn't work out and they felt taken advantage of. And we really take it when that actor comes in with a certain feeling or experience, we try to at least for the moment help them feel like they can stand up and put that aside for right now. If it's something that needs to get dealt with later on a private level with whoever it is that they're dealing with, then that's fine. But it's important that we send our cast out when they're done hair and makeup, that they are ready. They feel good. They feel like they're happy with how they look and they can start their very long work day on a really good foot. And that's the part that people don't see about hair and makeup. At least the people that are outside the trailer, they don't generally see that stuff. So it is important and it does take work. It takes a a conscious effort for hair and makeup, for costumes, for anyone that's in direct contact with the actors To make sure that their demeanor, that their attitude is always as positive as possible, but also non-pretentious. And we need to be very genuine. And I see on your IMDb that you also have taken a spin at writing, producing,
0: and directing. In 2014, you made a short film called Old Country. Can you tell us about that?
1: I sure can. And it's funny that you bring that up because I literally... Just rewatched it last night. And that was a project. What do they call that a passion project? Again, my father and my mom being immigrants and me being first generation Canadian, I literally wrote the skeleton of that little short script in about an hour and a half, two hours. And then, of course, you fill it, you write, you rewrite, you get people that you trust to critique you and whatnot. I cried at the end of that show. We did two days of shooting, and the crew, of course, and the cast volunteered all of their time And I was just so humbled. And I was high for two days after that. Directing is definitely something that I'm pursuing. And actually the reason for me touching base with old country again, as well as last year for Canada Day through my church organization, they have a media program and they were doing a director's workshop. And so they had folks submit basically a treatment about a concept and Canada Day was one of the options, and so I chose that. And at the end, when everyone handed theirs in, they chose to shoot mine. So I was able to write that treatment and then also direct that and be part of the editing process. So I do have the two directing credits under my belt, which I'm extremely proud of. And so I'm actually taking the links to those two projects, and submitting them to a women in the director's chair program that I'm really hoping that I will get to be a part of and try to pursue that part of things. I love directing. I love that connection with the actors. I love that Digging into characters and whatnot. And I hope that something really great can come of that. And I think that when we decide to work hard and set our mind to our dreams, I don't know about you, but I can procrastinate sometimes. And the hair department is something I'm established in, whereas directing and certainly writing, I don't consider myself any kind of established writer. I feel like I'm creating work. In the directing end by writing my own projects and if that's what it needs to be to start then i'm more than happy to do that but it's easy to get comfortable in the hair things because it's established it's secure the train is already moving whereas i feel with the directing it's like trying to push a car uphill and it's difficult so we tend to sometimes shy away from those things but it is a huge passion and I'm finally giving myself the well-deserved and needed kick in the butt I need to get going on this. Old Country is on Vimeo and also there's obviously a million shows out there and probably more than a handful of the same name. So my name of course is Pina Robinson and I wouldn't call it a show that is artsy or anything like that, but it's passionate and when you see your project, when it's all done, you think, oh, there's one or two little Shots, maybe we could have added. So, not to say that I don't love it or that it's not great. I love it. I think it's great. There's still scenes in that movie that make me cry. And I'm so extremely proud of it. But if you're going into analyze, you will see some faults. But it was my first project. I feel like you should always kind of say, I could have done that better. And that just says that your knowledge base and you're moving forward in your creativeness that all of that has grown well thank you for coming on to the show well luke thank you for having me this has been so much fun peace okay take care